Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 68, Raiders of the Lost Ark, movie review. Brian, that's Yancey Eaton, and this is Pop Goes Your World. Yancey, what's going on this week? You're a busy guy. Um, yeah, not a whole lot. Uh, my work is nearing the end of their fiscal year, so we have a lot of, you know, T's to dot and I's to slash or vice versa. Can't mm-hmm. really think of a good way to tie that in, but uh, You've got such yeah, I've been pretty busy on the home acumen. front. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, slowly getting my house back together. I've been I mentioned that a lot. I know you guys are kind of tired of hearing about it, but um, I'm on the home stretch of getting everything settled in at home, which feels really, really good. Um, you know, I kind of count like the new year as uh, you know the beginning of March and April, whenever we start getting into the baseball season. Um, you know, I start taking vacations around this time. My wedding anniversary is in March. Like. Uh, this is like the start of like a whole fresh new season, and uh, I'm just like really looking forward to it. I'm I'm kind of like in like this zen moment. I've been had a lot of stress like piled onto me the last couple of weeks, and to just like tackle things one by one just feels really good. But um, enough about me. What's what's new with you? What's going on in uh, can- Canada as it as it were? <laughs> <laughs> in Canada. Uh, so Canada. there's there's a local comic book store in my city. It's in the south end of town, and uh-huh. so what they do is they do this really cool thing where. Kids can bring their report card and for every A on the report card, they get a free comic book. And the cool thing is, is that the comic books, though, they're like, well, you have to pick from the back area. There's like a special like kind of back wall where there's like all these comic books and they're all like ones from like the 70s. So I'm like, those are the ones we want anyway. Like, right. you know, like I think most people might, you know, some people might, like, oh, we want the newest, latest thing or something. And we're like, I want, I want Richie Rich from 1979. What are you talking about? Right. So I take my son there and he's got nine A's. So he gets nine comic books. Right. Because, you know, he's really oh, smart. Wow. Yeah. He's really smart. I don't know where he gets it from. Not from me. Uh, but anyway, so we get to go there and we get to pick out nine comic books. So it's so cool. So we go to the back and we're looking through them all and we're picking out, like I say, like Richie Rich and Archie and Battlestar Galactica and a couple Star Wars ones. It was just really cool. Right. And we're going mm-hmm. through all these and I'm just reminiscing and just, oh, it's just so awesome. And I look up and up on the top of like the wall, like they got this wall on the side and they got a couple. Now, you're not going to know this, Yancey, but I'm going to tell you a little something. When I was a kid. So, you know, in addition to regular comic books, whenever like a special movie would come out, like a big movie that was like that would call for like a comic book sort of adaptation, they would have mm-hmm. these oversized comic books. So any Gen Xers out there, you know what I'm talking about. They're the like oversized comic books. They're huge, like three times the size of a normal comic book. But and, they have actual flip pages and stuff. Oh, like yeah. Regular, regular pages. Oh, okay. And it's all like, you know, it's all the panels are exact same. Like It's just great. And there was when I was a kid, I had Star Wars. Star Wars came in two uh, uh, there was two editions because it was, you know, they just got into so much detail. So there was Star Wars. And then I also had Battlestar Galactica, which was like the uh, comic book adaptation of the TV movie. Right. And then the, um, mm-hmm. the third one I had was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So anyway, I had these as a kid and like never even thought to ever find them again. And I'm sitting there at the back with my son. I look up and there's Close Encounters at the top and it's 10 bucks. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm getting close encounters. That's so cool. I'm going to get that. So I'm like, OK, as soon as we're done gathering the the, the comic books here, like, I mean, nobody's going to buy that friggin' thing. Right. It's sitting up there. And I said, we'll go over and I'll get the guy to go up and get that. And my son's like, oh, that's really cool. I'd like to read that one. So we get done. And then the guy comes up to me because, hey, you guys need a hand with anything. I said, I'm going to get something off the top shelf, but I'll wait till we get 
we got to get our nine comic books here first, right? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. no problem. Just let me know. So we get done and then we walk over and I look up and it's gone. And I'm like, what the hell just happened at Close Encounters? Where'd it go? And I walk up to the front of the, the store and there it is sitting on the counter. I'm like, oh, you took this down. Did you read my mind or something? He's like, no, that guy over there just bought it. I'm like, you have ah, got to be kidding me. no, who the hell would how, buy this thing? How long do you think that comic book had likely sat on that shelf? Probably, probably since 1977. <laughs> <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, ah, I couldn't believe uh, it. I was freaking out. So uh, that's how it went for me. But anyway, uh, you are ready to get started? Yeah, man, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, here we go. And everyone knows how much I love Fonzie. I don't know if you've seen any of the Sharknado movies. Shatner and Takei are going to be there. I cannot believe that this is actually possible. The Star Wars prequels were awful. Young Doctors in Love. Young Doctors in Love. Bad CGI kind of starts and ends with George Lucas. Some of the worst CGI I have ever seen in my entire life. He ruined the whole original trilogy by superimposing Hayden Christensen over Sebastian Shaw at the end of Jedi. Okay, so this week I got to nominate uh, a movie for us to come in and review. And of course, I went with one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top three, and that's Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981. So Yancey, um, you know, we do lots of talking about millennial films, and we're going to talk about them tonight as well as I make some comparisons here. And, you know, I'm always slagging on you, young man, and your generation of films. Uh, But, uh, you know, I made us go back and watch one from my youth. And um, so I have lots of questions for you on Raiders of the Lost Ark. First of all, obviously, you love this movie. Um, I think love is a little bit strong. I did not hate it. I'm not here to besmirch your third favorite movie of all time. It's a it's a good movie. Um, I did not love this movie, though. Okay, so I'm going to come through the microphone and strangle you. And then we'll do that live here on the air <laughs> Chris, so people I, will hear I, a death. Um, I, I don't hate it. It's not a bad movie at all. It's just um, I, I, I don't know the adjectives to use to describe like how this movie made me feel. I Please try, though. As, I want to hear it. Okay, so for as much fanfare as this movie gets, and a lot of it just from, you know, the stuff that I've read after I watched it is deservedly, you know, very high praise for this film. I, like I said, not a bad film. Please don't take this as me like bad mouthing this film. I just didn't care. I just didn't really get into it. Um, I thought it could have been better. Like there were so many different turns where I thought it was going, where I would have been a lot more excited if it had went in that direction and it didn't. There's a lot of plot holes. There's lots of things that are left unexplained. Um, You know, inexplicably, like really Indiana Jones doesn't do anything to, you know, that, that, that makes the ending what it is. Like it, it it feels like this is one of those movies where it it almost got edited and and, and chopped up too much at the end. And the original movie was probably uh, a much better story than it was. If that makes sense. Like I said, I know this sounds like I'm coming in really hard and really negative, but um, I just felt like there was a lot of issues with this to be warranting it as like one of the greatest movies of all time. Does that make sense? We are breaking up. That's it. We're breaking <laughs> up. That's it. It's over. You So you have a lot of problems with uh, plot holes and issues with pacing and apparently not being exciting enough watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you like the f- lobster? I just, I just want to go through this microphone and just strangle you, young man. I tell you. Okay, so a couple of things. Just to, I'm going I'm to address some of these things. First of yes. all, um, you, you talked about how Indy doesn't have like much of a function in the film. I had a Twitter conversation with some people when I put it out there and said we're going to be doing Raiders of Lost Ark, and I got some you know flack, but I mean I got some feedback that said, oh well, you know Indiana Jones, you know, really doesn't have any sort of function in the film. You know, he doesn't have any, he doesn't drive the plot in any way. I was like, what? And there, and, and the, the point that was made to me was that without him, the Nazis still would have 
wanted, found, and opened the ark. But my response was that that is factually incorrect. And here's why. Because they, the Nazis did not have the proper dimensions for the staff of Ra, and the Nazis never would have found the ark. They were digging in the wrong place. And then, anyway, so I made that comment, and the guy was okay. like, oh, okay, you're right, all right. And then a third person jumped into the conversation and said, you guys watch too much Big Bang Theory. And I don't really watch that show, I gotta confess, my wife watches it sometimes, um, but I'm assuming that that either means... I have never seen it either. But... Yeah, I'm assuming that either means that I'm a nerd, or that they maybe discussed Raiders of the Lost Ark on that show, so I'm not 100% sure, uh, but... He does have a function in it anyway. Um, and then the other thing that you addressed was sort of the the, the plot and the pace of the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm just a little bit surprised because I'm just I'd like to kind of get into that a little bit more with you, because for me, the pacing was I, I OK, this is the way I'm going to say it. For me, the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark is a textbook example of how to make a movie. And I think it should be taught in film schools. And here's why. The movie opens up and almost right from the get-go, there's action, right? They come across forest all, he's impaled on the spikes and then they get the idol and then the booby traps start going off and then he trips a wire, this giant boulder chases after yep. him and then he gets out and he's chased by like these hovitos, right? They got these poison arrows and he has- Great start. Narrowly escapes on a yep. biplane. Zero complaints, yes. You know, and then in other words, what you've got is arguably the greatest movie opening of all time. And it basically takes your breath away watching it, right? And then, but Spielberg understands this. So what does he do? He follows up, you know, the most action-packed scene in motion picture history with one of the most boring scenes in, in motion picture history. That scene where the government agents come in, um, Musgrove and Eaton come in, and then they're they're asking Andy about the Ark of the Covenant and all this. And it's very mm-hmm. dry. It's very slow. It's done on purpose, right? Because Spielberg's given the audience time to catch their breath, you know, before he whisks them away again. And then, you know, it's right. I think it's absolutely brilliant filmmaking. I think the pacing is textbook i I, just, I and then and then the thing is then after that scene when the action gets going it just doesn't stop and he just keeps getting into these unbelievable situations and he's unbelievably unpredictable in the way that he handles the situations and it just keeps going and going and and then the flying wing and they're in the well of the souls and then he's chasing after the ark and then the ark and like i just like it just seems like the action and I, I couldn't imagine where else it would go so i just find it interesting that that one of the criticisms you have is kind of the the action and the pacing in it, because to me, it should be taught in school. So I think that's a lot to unpack. So Sorry. your your yeah. first your first point talking about how um, Indiana Jones doesn't really have much utility as far as like pushing along the plot of the story. Um, like one of the main issues that I had a, that I took umbrage with was the fact that here you have the Nazis in the middle of the desert and they are digging at this site. And Indiana Jones shows up with a team of people digging, and they're within earshot of the Nazis. They're they're right next to them. You can see the Nazis like in the same camera shot, and yet somehow we're supposed to be, you know, we're led to believe that the Nazis would have never found this tomb or something without Indiana Jones. Given, I understand that there was a piece, there was like some sort of, um, you know, artifact or something that they needed, but that part where it's like he literally has an entire team assembled. He's one of the only white guys in the entire place that's not dressed up as a nazi and they don't notice them i thought that was a little far-fetched you talked about like pacing i thought the opening scene was absolutely incredible i thought the um his assistant whatever the guy's name was uh was really annoying but that doesn't really take much away from the film but yeah the opening scene yeah the guy that steals the idol from yeah 
Yeah, exactly. I thought I, I thought the opening scene was very, very cool. And honestly, it kind of gave me like, a you know, the Goonies vibe, which I know the Goonies came out much later. So obviously the Goonies was copying from Indiana Jones. But um, I was built up as thinking like this was almost going to be like a Tomb Raider or like a Goonies type film where it was basically Indiana Jones, like traversing caves and, 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 and tombs and, you know, doing all these like really creative, inventive did things. That in the Well of the Souls when they escape and there was all those dead bodies all around the skeletons and all that. that that's a tomb. Like, right. Right. Like I said, though, my 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 interpretation of this film was like, that's literally what he does. Like this whole movie is like him doing like cave dives and, 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 and whatnot. But talking about like plot holes and stuff, I mean, we can go into this a little bit more in in, in general. But like I'm always looking at how one scene ties into the next. Right. And like uh, the, the, the biggest glaring, um, I don't want to say omission, but the, the, the biggest thing that I kind of had like an issue with was like um, – timing of things like Harrison Ford's character Indy he he meets Marion at her bar in Nepal and he says that he's there to get like the um the medallion or the token or whatever it's called and it just so happens within 15 minutes of him being there all of a sudden the Nazis show up at the exact same time on the exact same night uh, just like whenever they go to, uh, you know, the tomb, as soon as they find the stuff, they're discovered as soon as, you know, it, it's like the timing with everything just works out so perfectly that um, it, it doesn't really give a lot to like being credible to me in a kind of way. Like, but even, like but scene- OK, so I'm going to jump in just for a second. Sorry, I'm going to I'll let you get back. But I mean, the yeah, thing sure. is, it's a motion picture. It's a movie. So things got to happen. You can't you just you can't just have them. Otherwise, if you OK, so he goes to see Marion and let's say the Nazis don't show up for a week. So we're just going to have them sit around watching paint dry. You know what they call that? They call that the lobster. People sitting around watching paint dry. OK, <laughs> the thing is, things have to happen. That's the whole point. Yeah. OK, maybe it's. A big- I know, but like it. But there is a way to package that to where um, like uh, let me give you the best example. OK, oh, so please do. Harrison, I'm all ears. Whenever Harrison Ford was on the pirate ship and yes. they came and they took the girl, Marion, or yeah, they I might be misremembering. But long story short, I think they take the girl, don't they? And then yep. they take the the artifact, whatever, on the submarine. Yes, they take it the shows, and they take her. Yep. It shows Harrison Ford popping up out of the water. And then all of a sudden he's at the submarine and all the pirates are cheering and everything. It then shows you like the backdrop of like, you know, a cartoon like animated map with like the red line showing like the submarine traversing hundreds of miles of the ocean. And Harrison Ford is what is he? On the submarine is did the submarine never submerge despite the fact that it's he, a submarine? They literally la- just drove hundreds of miles. Like he, he lashed himself to the periscope with his whip. Okay, it doesn't show that in the movie though. Yes, it, you're right. It was it, that 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 part was cut out. Okay, so they did okay, edit that. But you see, like I didn't know that. So like obviously you knew that because you you've probably done a lot more research on this than I did. But like it was in the I'm comic seeing, book. Like, these, it was in the comic book version. These, these really clunky transitions between one scene versus another. Like how can you, be, how can you see a clunky transition when they show the map with the red line moving and the dots and where it goes? But like, like I said though, that, but how do I not a how do I know transition? what how do I know what Indiana Jones is doing? How do I know? Is he in the submarine? Is he on top of it? Did the submarine go underwater? Like we, you see what I'm saying? Like it doesn't dress these things or like, um, what's another good example? Uh, I'm trying to think of more. I, I had a bunch of these written down where it's like, just like really clunky things with like, even, even stuff with like the dialogue where what's the name of the, uh, like the evil, uh, Nazi guy that wears the glasses, the really dorky looking dude. Well, I, I believe that his, the actually pronunciation is, is Todd. But it's but I always Todd. but I always call him Tote because it's T O H T. I believe okay. in German would be pronounced Todd, but I call him Tote. So we will continue to call him Tote. It's never okay. mentioned in the movie. His name is never mentioned in the film ever. So Tote, but it's Tote, Tote. like a tiger, right? Yeah. Okay. He's the guy that, that grabbed the headpiece of the staff of Ron and burned the image onto his hand. Onto his hand. Yeah, yes. and that's where they got the dimensions from, but they missed the other side. So yeah. 
So like like little things and, and this is me. Obviously, I'm doing a little bit more deep diving into it. But like I said, I came in this with the expectation that this was a near perfect movie. Like when you show me like the killing fields or, or Jaws, I was literally assuming like there are no loose ends. There are no like cheesy throwaway lines. There's no inconsistencies with the plot. Like everything is explained. The timeline is sound like even something stupid like thought or toad or whatever we said taught like he, he he comes up to marion's character and he talks about her he's like oh you know americans always overdressing you know in every occasion meanwhile he's literally wearing like a full suit and tie in the middle of the desert or like they'll say things like with marion like whenever she's in that uh the, the tent at that campsite they're nazis they don't make says, any sense i know but like he uh the one guy the other archaeologist he says to marion um you know there's no point of escaping you know there's nothing but desert for weeks on either way yet whenever they're doing like the the chase or whatever in the you know in the truck to take the ark back within a within an, an hour they're in another town so like where, was he lying was he just trying to get her to stay there or was that just like yeah, you see what he I'm saying? Was, like, maybe he was just lying to her because he didn't want her to leave maybe but like that stuff isn't really I don't know. It's not articulated very well. Like I'm saying, like um, these are minor quibbles, and like most of the notes I wrote down, it was just like little things like that, like even really cheesy things, Chris. Like um, we've talked about the Wilhelm scream before. Like yes, I they about use it in this movie. Yep, they it's use it in this, this movie. movie. When, I know when, I when the German falls off the back it. of the truck. Yeah, I remember. That. I couldn't believe it. I literally thought like, okay, surely this is like this super original piece of artwork. Like it's a standalone masterpiece. And then I heard that and I was like, what? The, but like, the, I, the Wilhelm scream's been used in like 200 motion pictures throughout history. It's like it's just it's they they just throw it in there, you know. I don't, I just don't. Then the thing is too, like, okay, so so this you got, you got to understand the context of this film. So this, the idea for this movie is based on the old cliffhanger serials from like the forties and fifties, right? Don't say that again, Chris. They, they had these cliffhanger serials, okay, back in the forties and fifties. So they would be like, you'd go and watch. There, most of them were usually westerns, but there was like Flash Gordon serials too. You'd go into the movie theater and you'd watch like you know like a, like a half hour, and then it would leave you as a cliffhanger. And, and they were they were over the top and that, that sort of thing. But they were incredibly entertaining. And so Lucas and Spielberg, they grew up with these things. Right. So they were inspired by them. And it's probably fair to say, I think, that the Flash Gordon serials inspired Star Wars and the Western serials inspired Raiders of the Lost Ark. But again, so it is supposed to be a little bit over the top and it's supposed to be a little bit, you know, sort of not corny, but like just a little bit over the top, just like the serials were, because that's what entertainment's all about. It's like the final scene when all the 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 the, the, the Nazis are melting their faces. Everything. It's supposed to be over the top and cheesy, you know, like mm-hmm. that's the whole point. And oh, man, I had I'll, I'll put things in perspective. Um, I had my son watch this movie because he's eight and he was just as spellbound by this movie as I was when I first watched it. And right. I just want to bring up one thing because it just came to my mind. And I remember we talked about this on a previous show. I think it's worth bringing up again. I think if you go back and you think about your favorite movies, your favorite TV shows too, but especially your favorite movies, the you know, the movies that had the biggest influence on your life, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I would say the majority of those movies will be from the year when you were 11 years old. And we mentioned that before, right? So, um, like, I'm willing to bet if you made a list of movies that were most influential to you, um, you know, they would be from the year that you were 11. There's a lot of reasons why that is. And we'll discuss that for sure. But for me, I was 11 in 1981. And it was the age when I first started to get a little bit of independence. You know, I was able to go to the movies with my friends, you know, instead of my parents. And I was able to first start watching a little bit more, quote unquote, mature movies, I guess. And 1981 is also the year that Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in theaters. And the experience that I had watching this movie in the theater was very influential to me as an 11-year-old. I was spellbound by it. And like I said, mm-hmm. my son was just as spellbound 
as I was. So to me, it spans the generations, you would think, but, you know, apparently not. Um, so, well, yeah, take, go ahead. Take in mind, I, I have not seen this movie before. So, like, I'm coming at this as, like, a crusty 29-year-old man. And you know what I mean? Like, I think the the imagination and, like, kind of what the movie is trying to do would have fallen on better ears had I been younger when I first saw it. You know what I mean? And that appreciation that, that your son and you had whenever you first watched it because you were younger would have kind of carried over. Like, I still defend, like, really awful movies that I saw as a kid just because they're important to me as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, that is a common thing that you and I both, like, mentioned. But, like, I think just me, like, just me coming at it as an adult, like, I was so distracted by, like, all of the little things that I feel like it doesn't get right. For me, to, you know, like there's the magic isn't there. Like if I watch the Goonies today and I've never seen the Goonies before as a child, I'm going to think it's an OK movie. If I'm going to watch like Hook with like Robin Williams now for the first time, there's not going to be any, you know, any magic there whatsoever. Like maybe that's just my personal experience and how I look at it. But like I, I think that's kind of where like the uh, the the disattachment is with me in this film. So maybe that's like, that's something that's worth exploring because, you know, you're saying that you weren't there. You didn't watch it when you were, so you're just watching it now. So I wonder, I wonder if I watch this as an adult. Now, I, obviously I rewatch, I've rewatched this over and over again, even as an adult, many, many times. I still love it. Every time I watch this movie, I absolutely love it. Um, but you know, how much of that is the fact that it's an amazing movie and how much of the fact is that, that it's from my childhood, I guess is the point you're making, Right. Right. And if you, if I had only watched this just as an adult, but I still truly believe if I had only just come into this as an adult or as a crusty 29 year old, as you said, um, I still, <laughs> I still think I would love it because this movie is right up my alley. Like it's just a lot of fun. Right. I like movies that are a lot of fun to watch. And I like movies that, that obviously, um, have a, have a lot going on, a lot of action and, and very charismatic characters. And this movie has it all as far as I'm concerned. I do. Um, in regard to the special effects, obviously, you don't think is that part of it? Do they, they don't stand up today for you? Uh, no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, on the contrary, one, one of the things I wrote down in my notes was given it's on a scale just because, like I've said, like I'm not going to be impressed by playing Pong on Atari because I have seen what the future looks like. Right. So with the caveat that, like, I know what is to come, I was super impressed with a lot of the special effects, especially towards the end, whenever they actually open up the arc. Right. I, I was floored at how at how awesome the special effects looked i was genuinely floored like uh, even the scene where um they were both in like the trucks and indiana jones was like hanging off of the truck and then he slid mm -hmm. underneath it i i thought that stuff was awesome i really really did i wanted to see more of that i thought they did an amazing job um that i had almost no qualms with whatsoever it was the special effects yeah, well, that's, um, you know, you mentioned some of the special effects. I think some of the reasons why they are so good is because they're actual stunts, right? You know right. what I mean? Like, it's like, they're so good. Like the one you, you mentioned when he goes underneath the truck, like, um, man, that was awesome. But if you look really at the thing is because they didn't have CGI, right? So they couldn't go in and do this all. When the, they look at the way they did that scene, they had to raise the truck up on the axle to give them some room. And there's also, if you go back and watch, um, you can see there's a trench. The, the, the truck's like straddling this trench as it's driving along that he's that the, the stuntman's able to kind of fit in there and kind of go under, you know, and then um, and then the thing when um, uh, at the at the end, when he gets to the end of the truck and he's dragging by his whip, then that was Harrison Ford dragging. Right. He actually did that stunt himself. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of bruised ribs, you know, to show for it. But uh, it was the head stuntman, Terry Leonard, was the guy that did that whole scene. Um, and he was the guy that was the guy that was actually fighting him in the truck was the guy that actually went underneath and. You know, did that oh, I didn't stunt. know that. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy. Um, oh man, the, the, some of the stunts. But you, you mentioned uh, uh, Harrison Ford going underneath there, or not going underneath there, but being dragged. He did a lot of his own stunts. The the scene where, where as you mentioned, when they were on the the, the ship, and um, 
and the, the, they go over into the U-boat and then he swims across. He actually did that stunt himself. Harrison Ford swam across. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, he did that. He's, he was a bit of a stickler for doing his own stunts and much to the chagrin of, uh, of Spielberg and Lucas, mind you, I'm sure. Usually not a good idea. To and kinda, insurance companies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, yeah, you probably don't <laughs> want your leading man, you know, at risk of getting hurt or drowning, you know, when yeah. you're shooting a major motion picture. Um, but one of the scenes, too, when they're in the Well of the Souls, when Indy first falls down and rolls over and he's face to face with the Cobra. If you look real close, especially on the DVD where it's like high res, you can see there's a shine. There's a pane of glass that separates them. Right. Oh, OK. Yeah, pretty cool. Like, I, you know, you can pick up stuff like that, because, I mean, for years, I um, I only experienced this movie um, through the, the theater. I went to see it three times in the theater when I was 11. And then I experienced it on VHS the rest of my you know life until DVD came along. And it was a couple of years ago. My wife says to me, oh, I want to get you some for Christmas. What do you want? And I said, you know what I want? I'd like a DVD copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And she's like, okay. So she got it for me. And then I said, of course, you got to watch it with me, right? So we watch it together. And I was shocked at how good it looked because I was so used to watching it on this worn out VHS. I went through two VHSs. I watched it so much. I wore them out completely over and over again. And it's, you know, it deteriorates over time. It gets stretched out and everything. So like the quality wasn't great. And when I watched mm-hmm. it on DVD, I was just shocked. I was like, oh my God, this movie looks so, so, so good. But uh, but you so you did like the the stunts obviously, and I, the special I, I had no issues with the stunts like I said especially towards the end with like the the German guy's face melting right. and just like, like the, the way they were able to like show like demons and stuff like a you know, coming when, up when, the yeah, when, and when um, well and the, well, the demons that were floating they did that with mannequins they put them underwater. Are you that, serious? Yeah, they, and they, that's why their clothes were kind of all floating. They shot them underwater with like with like a a, a cloudy lens, and then the um the the melting faces because when Tote's face melts, it just like totally melts away. You know, his hat kind of falls off, and it's like okay, it's supposed to be cartoony on purpose. You know, because but it was it, cool. It, but was it was cool. Too. I loved it. I loved yeah. that scene. And but it, again, it gives it that whole over the top quality to it, which is what the movie's all about. So it is it is going back to what I said a bit over the top in places. Mm-hmm. But I just I think it's so much better than the CGI stuff you're seeing today. Like like and by the way, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. Yeah. That the, the, <laughs> we, we know, these, Chris. We some know. of these special <laughs> effects way better than CGI. Way, yeah. I'll, way, way, I'll way agree. Better. Practical effects like they can go a long way. Like I'll they were going to give them they were going to give this movie an R rating. Because of one thing that happens. So remember when all the faces are are melting and everything like that? And then remember Belloc is in front and his head explodes. Yeah. <laughs> so they so the studio said, you're getting an R rating for the head exploding. Sorry, you cannot explode a head. It gets an R rating. So they went back and they put flames in front of it. If you go back and watch that scene, you'll see there's a lot of flames in front. So you can't quite see it. And then the head explodes. And they did that and they were able to get a PG rating. That's interesting. <laughs> like it's interesting. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's so cool. I, I have a couple like little things that I noticed that I kind of want like your take on. Sure. So like little like minor things that I noticed. One is why is it that this was a you know um, obviously George Lucas had a big hand in this film. Um, yes, he you was know, executive producer. Yeah, executive producer, and I think he wrote a lot of it and you know what have he you. He came up with the so, idea of it, and uh, and him and um, and Spielberg kind of they kind of like spitballed it, you know, mm-hmm. and they were kind of coming up with this idea, and so yeah, so so Lucas had a, a big part of it. It was an executive producer in it. Um, the writing itself, the screenplay was done by Lawrence Kasdan, who just by the way, I just love Lawrence Kasdan, one of my favorite writers because he did Empire Strikes Back. This Continental Divide, always liked Lawrence Kasdan. He was good. But uh, anyway, sorry. So you're going to ask me? Yeah. So why is it like (laughs) there's one major carryover from the Star Wars franchises to this film, Mm -hmm. which is every one of the antagonists are 
really, really bad shots. What the hell is up with that? Why why do all of the adversaries have to be like notoriously bad at shooting or throwing darts or spears or like do you think it almost like takens away from the movie that like he's never really in any imminent danger whatsoever? Like is I, that like a, a common occurrence in Lucasfilms? I okay, so you can you can take this any way you want, but I think if you watch this movie from start to finish and if you say Indiana Jones was never in any sort of danger at any time, then I think you're watching a different movie than I'm watching. Um because he I mean, goes I, I he goes from danger dangerous situation to dangerous situation and just is so unpredictable in the way he handles it and everything like that. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Because you know, all the Jovitos were like blowing darts at him and none of them hit him. None of the arrows hit him when he got on the biplane and took off. And you know, I guess stormtroopers always miss, I guess because you don't want the heroes to die in the first part of the movie. It's not psycho. You know, the, 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 the ante or the protagonist doesn't die in the first half hour. So, you know, you don't want the, 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 the hero to die. I guess that's it. Okay, so another issue. Yeah. Uh, so not an issue. It's just like weird things that I, I wanted your take on. So Karen Allen, she plays Marion. Um, she is lovely. My wife has sent me like pictures of her like before the before the show, just like months and years ago. Like, look at this woman. Like, she's so beautiful. You know, and she is. She's absolutely stunning. And she was in Animal I, House that I made you watch recently as well. Correct. Yes. Yep. A very nice tie in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, <laughs> so at one point she's in a big fancy dress. And then she changes into another big fancy dress. Was that just a really blatant, uh, transparent uh, ploy by the, you know, by the the network or the you know the company whoever was like shooting this film to put this beautiful woman in a dress or was there actual reason for this because like i said to see her in a dress once in the middle of the desert was a little cruel and then to have her change back into it on a pirate ship as if that were the only clothes that she could change into like was this literally just the company making her do it i don't know so you're saying because she was wearing because belloc made her put on the dress because he wanted her to to, you know look nice and then when she got on the ship and then she had to put it on i don't know maybe those were some of the only clothes she had i don't know i don't know what the reason is maybe maybe they insisted on i don't know i thought it was really really strange but um and then last so if if you're if you're picking you're picking apart this movie because you don't like seeing karen allen in a dress dude me man we got some issues no 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 i'm i'm no not at all like i said (laughs) i i think she's an objectively beautiful woman i thought that you know her character was kind of interesting as like this like you know she tries to be like hard and stuff and like kind of like a semi-alcoholic but not really but like super high functioning and she's never hung over i don't know whatever i I thought she did great it was fine my last question uh how do you pronounce his name sala 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 uh, is that not the worst accent in the history of movie making ever? It is so, it is so bad, Chris. Like, please don't defend it. That's... What you mean, John Riz Davies? <laughs> yes, you, you didn't like him. I thought that I think cause I think um, Spielberg wanted him to do kind of like a like a Falstaff kind of thing. Like he wanted him to be he lo- and he loved his voice when he heard him, and then it got him to uh, to do the the part. Uh, I don't I don't think it was at all. I thought it was good. You know what it reminded me of the entire time, Chris? What? Uh, remember a couple episodes ago, we did the Dark Knight movie review? Yeah. It reminded me of Bane. Like, this over-the-top, like, oh, you know, like, just like this, like, lack of vocal control, like this really forced accent. Like, it was like a, a gigantic distraction. Every time he talked, really? I started laughing. Wow. Yes. I found his character to be quite, like, very likable and, and, and very emotive and expressive, but I didn't. And, but again, maybe it ties into the whole over-the-top thing. You know, mm-hmm. with the whole movie, so I, he just kind of fits right in. But I, I liked Sala. I thought he was really, really cool. And, and I thought, you know, he was kind of at at times he was kind of quite laid back, like when they were uh, meeting the guy 
to um, to look at the headpiece to the staff of Ra and, and to inter- make the interpretation on what it said. He's kind of laid back, and then you know more over the top when he's like running around trying to tie flags together to get Indy out. And oh no, mm-hmm. I didn't think I thought his voice was good. I don't know. Okay, no, oh, just me. W- one more one more thing that not even an issue, just like something like I I mentioned to you at the beginning. Um, I, I found myself hoping that the movie was going in certain directions and it didn't. And then I referenced you know like the Goonies and stuff. Um, at one point, like whenever it shows like him as like a professor and you know he's teaching a class and like it shows like the girl's eyelids it says like love you yeah. as she like closes her eyes and it's like i thought that was one of the best scenes in the movie it was just so weird and original yeah and it was playing up that he's like this hunky professor type thing right. and honestly like i thought him those few scenes where he was in like an academic setting like as a professor who has like this weird backstory it was very like superman it was very james bond like i thought that that was really really interesting and they completely abandoned that throughout the entire second and third act of the movie and i was like i said i'm it sounds like i'm all negative about this movie but like i was really excited to see that side of him you know how he kind of like toes the line between both of them as like this like dude that kills you know literally dozens of people and is like this like rogue archaeologist that kills nazis and like also like this academic professor who's also a hunk that like women are just swooning over it's like um, I, I have I haven't seen any of the other movies. I, I obviously there's more like is that something they explore more like him as like this kind of like hunky professor dude? No. Or is it strictly just him like out on the field kind of thing? No, it's more like I mean, and, and I, I understand what you're saying, but I mean, it sets up the movie. But then when he takes off and starts, you know, fighting Nazis and stuff like he's left the classroom behind. I think that's the whole point of it. Right. And, right. The, and it's interestingly enough, remember when um, at the beginning, when Brody goes over to his house and, and says to him, hey, we want you to go for the ark. You know, the school wants you to go for the ark and they're willing to pay you for it and blah, blah, blah. And the way that Harrison Ford is in that scene, he's like kind of like putting his shirt on when he, he's in his house. Mm-hmm. There's a woman was supposed to be walking out of the other room in the original script called for it. They shot that. That would have made so much more sense. And like, they, if, they, they, if they had teased yeah. out that the whole like lover, you know, like the, the, the heartthrob the playboy. Yeah, the playboy kind of and thing played it up throughout the movie. Like that would have been so much more believable. And like it would have made the, the love story with him. And uh, I, I just I blanked on her name again. Marion. Marion would have made their love story so much more um, interesting and like believable. You know what I mean? Like. But, but this it's, is also like it was, you know, a movie that a lot of kids are going to watch, you know, and enjoy. I and mean, even though it was it was kind of a mature film, it um, exploded a dude's head. Chris. I know, Come but on. but it's, but We're still, about the but it but it, <laughs> it got a PG rating, and I was eleven years old in a the movie theater watching it, and you know, I thought it was fantastic. I was blown away by this movie, and uh, so yeah, I guess it they wanted to see more of the action. It was more about the action than it was about you know the love mm-hmm. interest, you know, per se, you know, which they did play at, and because you know she was a strong character. Um, Marion, but then she also had her damsel in distress moment as well, you know, being in the back of the truck and then she's, you know, he thinks that she, she dies, you know, and everything else. But, uh, no, I don't know. I'm really, I'm a little bit surprised because I thought that you would have liked this a lot better. I liked, um, I thought there was also some ad-libbing that went on. I, I'm always like a big fan of the ad-libbing stuff. I think mm-hmm. some of the best stuff is ad-libbed and, you know, remember in Empire Strikes Back when Harrison Ford says, I know, I know, you know, like, like <laughs> after Leia says she loves him, like, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, he actually ad-libbed the scene where he shoots the guy with the big sword. Remember the guy pulls out the big sword and starts swiveling around. He just pulls out his gun and shoots him. Like, he oh, was, that was ad-libbed? Yeah, he was supposed to use his bullwhip <laughs> and and whip the, 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 the sword out of the guy's hand and they did take after take after take after take and they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it to work. So he goes, he just says to, Spirit, how about if I just pull up my gun and shoot him so they shot that and they liked it and they left it in and i remember being in the in the theater 
watching that and the audience erupting in laughter at that scene. Chris, I genuinely laughed out loud when that yeah, happened. Yeah, it was all. Oh, I've so never funny. seen anything yeah. like that. I just I laughed my ass off. Like I was not expecting that. And like that whole like kind of like they they tease it throughout, but man, they could have really exploited that as like a, a main kind of like trope of his character and like really flesh that out and it would have made him so much more likable like they did with han solo and i know these are two separate franchises it's it's you know two completely different entities but like the reason why we all love han solo so much is because he is like a lover and he's a heartthrob but he's also kind of a he's kind of an you know what i mean yeah and like i would have loved to have seen and and, you know again this is maybe nearsighted and you can't have the same character in every single movie i understand that um, and maybe this was a conscious effort by Harrison Ford to be a different character, you know, but man, like I, I wanted so much more of him. This movie is an hour and 55 minutes long. And like, I found myself wanting even more Harrison Ford, like give me more. Like I want more dialogue. I would have even taken less action sequences if it was just more interaction between him and Marion. Like, I don't know how you feel about that, but like, um, I, I just thought he was absolutely fantastic and that's like one positive i will say about this movie is like he man he's really freaking good like harrison ford is awesome well and you got to think about at the time he was he was han solo so now all of a sudden lucas gets together with spielberg hey we got this idea for this this action movie you know based on the serials we used to watch as kids okay well who are we going to get to play you know indiana jones they were going to call him indiana smith right and then like who are we going to get them when they change it to jones um who are we going to play this part and they didn't want to get Harrison Ford to do it. Like they didn't want him in that role, which I can understand because they're like, no, like everybody identifies him as Han Solo. Number one, number two, he's already been in three of Lucas's movies. Cause he started off in American graffiti. Then he did star Wars and he did empire strikes back. So mm-hmm. like he can't be the guy. So they actually wanted Tom Selleck to do it. And Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck was, was actually given the part and was ready to go and had to turn it down because he wanted to, he had to contractually. He got, offered um magnum pi so he had to go shoot it so he couldn't do okay. it and but the studio wanted guys like they wanted they had talked about bill murray playing the part chevy chase guys Chris, like this to play would the it part. surprise you if i actually told you that the tom Selleck was a trivia question that you oh, just wrote oh sorry oh man <laughs> i do that all the time but the thing so then the thing was though that when, when he when it came out that harrison ford was gonna be it you're like oh you can't be he's han solo man and the thing is with those three leads in star wars you knew that they were all going to be typecast for life you just knew it and so that him getting this part no way and he was amazing like he was so good in this. He was so, so good. And he and at no point watching this movie, and this is what caught me the most, especially as an eleven year old kid who absolutely loves Star Wars. Watching this, not once, not once at any time in the movie did I watch the the look at the screen and go, Oh, that's that's Han Solo up there. Not once. Like he you're right. Harrison Ford yep. was brilliant. And he like I say, he did, you know, so much like ad libbing and stuff like that. Like even that's uh, the scene when uh, when he says to her, "It's not the years, it's the mileage." Like he ad libbed that, right? And you know, it's just here's the thing too. Like I'm just as I'm thinking about this with CGI. You know, like as you know, you young man, you you're your generation, all the CGI <laughs> stuff. But the thing is, is that when you're shooting scenes against a giant green screen, right, so that they can add in CGI effects, you know, in post. I don't, it's not a conducive environment to ad-libbing and improvising, you know, when you're doing multiple takes and having Right, actors. it's not giving you a lot to work off it of. It doesn't, yeah. right? And and you need to have those, th- those moments with the actors to be able to make interesting choices and experiment with their characters and the dialogue. And CGI special effects can be a killer of that stuff. And that's why you don't see as much of that anymore. I mean, you know, I'm taking that stand as a Gen Xer, but I also believe it's true. 
You know, that's, that's the way I see it. But, uh, well, overall, I'm a little bit shocked. I will say a little bit shocked that you don't love this no, no, movie. No. I, know, like like I, I said, thought. most of my notes were like like little details and like things that I wanted you to, to like flesh out and kind of explain to me. And like like you mentioned with like the him latching onto like the periscope or something that makes sense. But like somebody like me who's coming at it fresh and like I don't know like little things afterwards. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have back info on it. Like like I said, I'm I'm not saying that this is a bad movie, but like compared to the Killing Fields or Jaws, which were insane and like they mm-hmm. they had like this guttural just like visceral reaction inside me like I'm, I'm not saying it was a bad movie at all but whereas with those movies i got it like i understood why they were so important to you and why they were so important for a lot of people and critically acclaimed and commercially successful with this one i i don't feel the connection to the movie you know what i mean i like i said not saying that it's bad i have nothing negative to say about it it's just um, there, there just wasn't you've just that. spent you've just spent 38 minutes talking negative stuff about it. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'm going to mention about CGI, just while it's on my mind, as I mentioned before, my son loves this movie, right? But it has zero CGI in it. It's just so much fun to watch the action pace plot. I know you don't. It actually it actually does have a little CGI. I looked it up during trivia. There was a couple scenes where Marion had to do stuff in front of a green screen, and she like actually struggled with it. Well, yeah, but I mean, we're not talking about like you know like monsters put in and post and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Correct. Or whatever. Um, I, I remember a time when Lucas started going back and adding crap to the original star Wars films. Remember when he made those crappy special editions and he actually convinced Spielberg. I don't know if you know this. He convinced Spielberg to go back and tinker with ET. And, and he did. He went back. There's a couple, ET. Yeah, there's a couple scenes in E.T. in like the, one of the newer editions where like he's running through the forest and some of the other stuff that they, they kind of did in they, they changed it up with some CGI. But thankfully, they never, ever desecrated Raiders of the Lost Ark because I think it's perfect the way it is. I'm glad they never messed with it. God, such a misguided thing to do. That's that's Lucas for you. But the last thing I'm going to mention, too, is because, you know, we're, we're film buffs, too. At least I'm a real big film buff. And one of the most famous scenes in this movie is the end, the very, very end of the movie, when they wheel the Ark into that massive warehouse, right? Like, people continually Thank bring up. Thank you for bringing this up, yes. You know, people love that scene. And they'll always mention. I remember when I, uh, be, I would going, anytime I go to a big warehouse or something, people always, oh, it's just like Raiders Lost Ark. You know, like, people always say that. And it's not even a completely original scene. Because Spielberg's just paying homage to Citizen Kane, you know, because at the end of Citizen Kane, when um, the camera zooms out, it shows you all of the, the warehouse of all of Kane's belongings, all the stuff yep. he's accumulated over the years, right? That's all this material goods, this right? Stuff, yeah. And of course, it ends up, you know, they throw everything in the incinerator, including Rosebud, right? Uh, obviously, they didn't do that with the Ark and Raiders, but, but the homage is very obvious when you watch both scenes together, especially, but... Uh, but, so uh, I really quickly, that's yeah. a super interesting point. I actually meant to talk about this and I just, I was too busy doing other things. You I were guess. too busy cutting down my favorite movie. <laughs> oh. So that last scene, it, it just goes to show, I love that you, you pointed this out because it just shows like the, the difference between you and I. So whenever I watched that last scene, I thought it was awesome. And I was like, wow, this is actually making a big statement about like, um, like motivation and stuff like that, like governmental organ, you know, why they do the things they do. And like, they're just, they're hoarding information. They're, they're hoarding intellectual property and yep. artifacts and history and information. And, um, you know, that's actually like a really big thing now, like, uh, Aaron Swartz, I don't know if you know who that is, but he was an activist who basically stole a bunch of like, uh, scientific journals and, and published reports and everything like that, that were behind a paywall. He stole them, hacked, you know, into these computer databases and colleges and universities and made them free to the public. Well, the U.S. government ended up going after him and prosecuting him, and he 
ultimately decided to take his life but he was such a an advocate for like free information and stuff like that like if you would have made this movie today and saw that scene at the end that would have been like like 10 times more powerful i think as as kind of like a political statement talking about like just how freedom of information should be a thing and then also when I saw that, you know what movie it actually made me think of? That last scene with the warehouse and all the different boxes and just stuff everywhere. Crates and crates and crates. It actually made me think of Men in Black 2. <laughs> the very last scene. I know this is kind of weird, but um, of course you would mention like the greatest film of all time in Citizen Kane. And I would mention a throwaway sequel from you know my childhood. But uh, the very last scene of Men in Black 2, they're in like a locker room. And it's, uh, you know, it's Tommy Lee Jones. It's Will Smith. It's Rip Torn. And they're all kind of like talking back and forth. And they're trying to uh, console Will will smith's character and say you know hey you know it's not so bad we know you lost your girl blah 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 you know there's there's a whole world out there and then it basically ends with them opening up a locker door and they pull the locker door open and you see that our whole world that we know is just inside one little locker inside of a gigantic you know just a a gigantic consortium of locker after locker after locker and every single one of these is contained within another world within another world within another world and it was weird to think about Men in Black 2 while I was watching this movie. And the reference that you made was Citizen Kane. But I honestly, like, I don't know if they would give it credit for it, but that scene, like, it's amazing how many things are remixes of something else. And like I said, uh, how many references you've dropped on me in this podcast and other podcasts you and I have done together where I didn't realize that you were basically like throwing something at me. You were throwing a reference at me, uh, you know, some sort of homage to a movie or a book or something that you had seen. And just seeing that, like, everything has something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the one thing that I enjoy about this podcast the most. I know this is kind of like a weird like way to wrap it up, but like learning that, like... <laughs> pop culture didn't start like today mm-hmm. it didn't start 15 years ago or 20 years ago that everything that you're throwing at me like it makes me realize oh hey all these things that i used to hold in such high regard they're actually just derivatives of stuff that was made 40 50 60 years ago sometimes so i just think it's really cool yeah and i just think that that is sort of this podcast in a nutshell as well because we're talking about Raiders of the lost ark and i make a, a parallel to citizen kane and of course <laughs> you make a parallel to men in black too So I think that's just a perfect way to wrap things up and we'll move right now and we will have some fun with Yancey. Okay, so it's over to you, my friend. Uh, You want to give me some trivia from Raiders of the Lost Ark and see how well I remember this movie from when I was 11? Yeah, sure. So I had 17 questions originally and they've been uh, whittled down substantially. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> I had 17 questions. You know, you, I've been avoiding I've been avoiding IMDb. I've been avoiding um, you know, Wikipedia, everything like that. Like I'm trying to go to like, you know, blogs and obscure, like obscure really, obscure stuff. Yeah. Really, really obscure stuff. And like it's obviously to no avail. It, it doesn't matter because you you know these movies very well. But um Sorry. all right. So the first question. So you mentioned Lawrence Kasdan. He developed the film with Steven Spielberg, and uh Lucas was named the main character. He decided to make it Indiana Smith. And they decided to change the name because they thought that it sounded too much like Steve McQueen's uh, Western Nevada Smith character. Okay. So where did the name Indiana Jones originate from? Oh, where did they get it? It was Lucas's wife's uh, dog was a Malamut. Correct. Okay. And and, and as another tie in, he you could (laughs) Lucas used to drive around in his truck with the dog sitting beside him. And that's where he got the idea for Chewbacca. Oh, gosh. Driving I really your... thought that that was like the one. I thought that was the one that was going to stump you. But oh, was that evidently... another question, too? No, I mean, oh. that was oh. I mean, you basically got, I was going to ask what the breed of dog was, but yeah. you, oh, you knew sorry. that one. 
Okay. All right. So uh, this is an easy one. So uh, during this time, uh, the German army entered the Rhineland. Uh, Jesse Owens won four gold medals in the Olympics. Uh, Indiana Jones was all over South America looking for a hidden temple that housed a golden idol. All of these events took place at the exact same time. What year was this movie taking oh, place when in? When was this movie set? I will say 1936. You nailed it. Yes. Because of crazy yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one. I've never heard of this before. Okay. Uh, that's why it stood out to me. Maybe they mention it more in the, sh- in the movie than I, I remember. But uh, whenever he's looking into the tomb, okay, what kind of snakes does Salah say are inside? Oh. What is the specific type of snake? Asps. Very dangerous. Ah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you should go first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, next question. A chunk of this film is based in Nepal. Obviously, yep. uh, Marion's bar is based in Nepal. That's where he meets her and asks for a drink and stuff. Yep. Can you name me the present day capital of Nepal? Oh, cheapers. Uh, no, I couldn't even tell you past what, what a capital Nepal is. I'm just trying to think. Uh, no, I can't, can't think of it. <laughs> It's actually Katmandu. Oh, Katmandu. Oh, I knew that. This, oh, is, not, uh, this is not technically a, a Raiders of the Lost Art question, right. but I have but, to be creative. <laughs> no, of course. It's all good. <laughs> uh, in what Egyptian city do the Nazis try uncovering the Ark? So that main city where you see them doing all the digging and stuff. Right. What is the name of the Egyptian city? Tanis. Tanis. Very yes. good. Yeah. Okay. Um, where else are we? So you remember Andy did indeed, he actually retrieved the Ark and uh, him and Marion chartered a boat to take them wherever. Can you remember the name of the boat that they chartered? Oh, yeah, it was, um, oh, what the heck was the name of it? It was like Wind, 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 yes. was, was it the Windu? It was the Bantu Wind. The Bantu Wind. Oh, it was kind of close. Jeez, yeah. I'll give God. you half credit. That was actually pretty close. Kind of close. Almost. Yeah. Okay, so can you name the uh, captain of the ship that Indiana and Marion leave Cairo on? So the name of that pirate oh, ship. Oh, Captain. Oh, it escapes me now. Oh, the guy with the sweater and the hat. No, I know it, you can pull this out. Come on, oh, Chris. Oh, no, I, I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. It is Captain Katanga. Katanga, that's it. Yes. Katanga. Oh, yes. Yep. Okay, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, can you name to the minute the exact runtime of Raiders of the Lost Ark? I, it, was a, it was an hour and 55 minutes, right? 55 minutes, okay. Um, I didn't mean to mention it during the show, but that was one of my... I, I only knew it because you mentioned it during the show, so that's good. Okay, so this uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was nominated for 23 awards, and it won... I'm sorry, it was nominated for 33 awards and won 30. Can you name the number of Oscars and which Oscars this film won? It was nominated for, it was up for nine. Um, But it won all the technical stuff. Like it won like, you know, editing and sound and all that stuff. But the one that it didn't get was um, score. It didn't get the score. And I remember that because it had such a great score, but Chariots of Fire got it. But it didn't get any of the big ones. It was up for, it was also up for Best Picture, was up for Best Director. Didn't get either of those. Um, had no acting awards in it, but it was all the technical stuff it's like best sound, art direction, you know, stuff like that. Yep. You're almost 100 percent. It was uh, they won it for best art direction and set direction, best visual sound, effects, stuff like that, best yeah. film editing and yeah. best effects and visual effects. Yeah, so yeah. I will give you credit for that. That was actually pretty outstanding. OK, um, so last. No, I have a couple more questions. Uh, there is a character in this, a minor character. His name, I'm sorry, the actor that plays him is known as William Hootkins. He played a Nazi who yeah. was a major. Yeah. Can you name this major's last name? Yeah, Major Eaton. At the beginning of the movie. Major Eaton. Yeah. Correct. 
He was probably my relative or something. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, can you give me I, if you can get within ten million dollars, I will give you I will give you all the props in the world. First, give me the budget. Oh, I know the budget. Was, the budget was eighteen million because they tripled the budget uh, on the movie. And you want how much they made? They made like three hundred eighty million dollars. Uh, three hundred and eighty-nine million. Woo! So you were you were literally right there. <laughs> yes, okay. Baby. Honestly, this is pretty. Uh, this is pretty impressive, Chris. I I'm not, I'm absolutely love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I really, really, really do. And because Star Wars came out when I was so my three favorite movies of all time are Star Wars, Jaws, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and not necessarily in that order. I've always said they're mm-hmm. kind of interchangeable. Does it shift? Yeah, uh, does it, it shift? It, yeah, they're kind of interchangeable. I just I love all three almost equally. Like they're just all so special to me. But the reason why Raiders of the Lost Ark would stand out amongst the other ones is for this, because when Star Wars came out, I was seven. Okay, and I was absolutely mesmerized in the theater as a seven-year-old, but I was still seven. I was pretty young, right? And when Jaws came out, I was five. Now, I saw Jaws when I was seven at the drive-in. My mom took me to see it, and I was scared so bad by Jaws. It really scared me as a seven-year-old. Like, I I wanted to leave and go home. I was like, Mom, please take me home. I don't want to watch this. I want to, I want to go home. Um, whereas Raiders, I was 11. You know, so it's a little bit older. And we've said before that 11 years old. I, anybody, I challenge anybody that's listening, go back and think of the movies that were the most influential to you and or even go back and find the year when you were 11 and look at the movies and you'll be shocked that that's the one year for whatever reason that really, really affects you. And mm-hmm. so because it came Video out, games too, Chris. Yeah, Video anything like too. that. Yeah, you know. Yep. And so for that, because 11, like I say, is the age where you're just starting to break free a little bit. You can go with your friends a little more, go to the movies with your friends. And, you know, you get a little bit more independence. You can watch a little bit more mature movies at that point. And so for whatever reason, that 11-year-old age is very, very important. And so that's when this came out. So for that reason, that might push it a little bit more than the other two, if anything. But the three are pretty much interchangeable for me. This movie means a lot to me. It has pretty much my whole life. I, I absolutely love this. And my son last year uh, for um, Halloween uh, went out as Indiana Jones. And I was just so happy. Like in, well in, in this day and age, <laughs> like, you know, t- t- 2017, he dresses up as Indiana Jones from 1981 and goes out. I have a lot of influence on him when it comes to pop culture, because this is the way I am. Right. But yep. Let me let me, let me just say one last thing, Chris. Yep. Um, overall, if I gave this like a one to ten score, ten being, you know, the Matrix, absolutely perfect. Um, I would give this a seven. I think it's I do think it's a good movie. Um, maybe I went in when I, I was a little overzealous just trying to make um, almost play like devil's advocate and yep. try to give you talking fine. points to kind of like go back with. But like overall, like I did enjoy this movie. Like I said, um, there wasn't like some magical connection with it, but I, I, I see why it was groundbreaking at the time. Like I said, Harrison Ford, most of the casting in it is absolutely phenomenal. Um, there's, there's parts in it that I, I felt like I could have done without, but it is a very, very good movie. And like when you, when you take into consideration the year that was made in the early eighties and what they were up against as far as, like you said, um, you know, just visual effects and special effects and the score and everything like, um, it, it really is a solid movie. Um, it, I wouldn't put it up there with Jaws. I wouldn't put it up there with, um, what, what was the other movie you mentioned? Your top three favorite movies, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars. I'm sorry. I wouldn't put up with those at all. I think this is a, it's a step down from those, but still a, a really, really solid movie. Especially when like for me, when you take everything as a whole, like the acting in it, you know, the casting is just to me, the casting in this movie is just absolutely perfect. Everyone from Harrison Ford to Paul Freeman, everyone is just, it's just cast perfectly. Um, and then you've got, you know, the, the action, the pace, the plot, the cinematography, and then the score. Just when you think John Williams, peaks 
you know, with Star Wars, because, you know, you, you listen to Star Wars, the, the, the score and go, okay, man, that doesn't get any better than that. Okay. This guy's peaked. Like, I mean, this is his career high. And to hear what he does in Rages of the Lost Ark, it, all of it together just works on some sort of, you know, gut level that very, very few movies do for me. So, man, I love it. I would, you give it a seven, I give it a 9.8. That's pretty good. Yeah, I would give it a 9.8. And I just can't <laughs> go good. all the way because, I mean, you know, Citizen Kane is, you know, a very, very, like, perfect movie um, mm-hmm. as far as filmmaking goes. But this is damn close. This is how you make a movie. As I said, this should be taught in textbooks as far as I'm concerned. How to make a film. How to pace a film. How to give action. How to do it all. This is this is it. The, the, Spielberg is an absolute, cra- like, just a genius in his craft. He's a genius. So... Anyway, that's the way I take it. Uh, so for next week, what we're going to do is we're going to come back with a top five list. So I don't have to, you don't have to nominate a film for me. I just can't wait. Um, uh, you know what it's going to be. Hopefully it's not going to be like the lobster last week. I'm just kidding. Um, but I have a recommendation for top five. We didn't talk about this off air. Yeah. Um, what do you got? If this is inappropriate, you can totally cut this out. Next week is our episode 69. I would love to do romantic comedies for this. Oh, my, my, my. Rom-coms? <laughs> oh, I think that's a great idea. I, mean, it's, I don't know if the inference is all that good. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but no, okay. Yeah, no, I think that's a good idea. Like, do you like romantic comedies? Like, I mean, um, usually I we like think of them. them as sort of, quote, unquote, chick flicks. You know, that's sort of the thing. And not to paint them with a brush. But I mean, that's sort of always been sort of the, the knock on them, right? That they're but when done movies. right, oh, when man. done right, Chris, some I of like the some best of yep. funniest movies I've ever seen yep. were rom-coms they were chick flicks so i agree with you i think i think romantic comedies are great and they're some of my favorite movies are romantic comedies i would love to do top five romantic comedies with you next week mine are gonna be different because all come from gen x you probably haven't seen any of them but uh yours would be interesting for sure don't please just don't say the lobsters on there it's not a comedy It's a dark comedy. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so we'll leave it at that then. We'll come back next week. We'll do romantic comedies. That's a, that's a great idea. I love it. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and until then, hey, if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can get us on Twitter, at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Head over to popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is there. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.